Hey, lovely listeners. Parenting as Political is only made possible by people like you. If you want to become a monthly subscriber and help keep the show going, go to parentingispolitical.org where you can sign up for monthly subscriptions or you can do one-time donations. Every little bit helps and we appreciate it. Enjoy the episode. Hey y'all, welcome back to Parenting is Political. This is Mo. <laughs> and I'm Jasmine. And we um, just released an episode on Juneteenth, so if you haven't listened to that and are curious about it, give that a listen. We also have um, a whole season one, some bonus episodes, there's a lot of content, and we are about to drop some more episodes. So, how are you doing? I have Cheeto dust in my teeth. Yeah, I got it all over my fingers on this laptop. I want y'all to know I am exercising the utmost self-control to not munch Cheetos while I talk on this podcast. Look, we would lose so many listeners if we did that. I don't even care. Maybe it could be like an ASMR thing. I was about to say some people might like it. slowly bite into a Cheeto. You want to try it? Hold on. If you don't like food sounds, mute. Mute, mute immediately. Immediately. But if Ten. you like it and you're kind of into it, listen to this. Here we go. Ready? I'm ready. Mm. That's it. <laughs> you can I, unmute now, although you wouldn't hear that if it was on mute. They don't know they're going to miss the whole yeah. episode now. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Well. I love Cheeto so much. Cheeto puffs represent. Yep. Yep. Don't bring me the misshapen, weird, twiggy... Mm-mm. Give me those puffs. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what are we talking about today, well, Hoji? the weirdest thing we've done so far. And <laughs> Stay tuned. More to come. <laughs> Who knows what we're going to eat next episode? They're rich. Um, okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Um, so we are going to pick back up where we left off a couple of months one. ago. Well, and technically, we'd started season two, and then... We didn't do several episodes or episodes for several like months, but we're back. Hi, readers, uh, faithful listeners, viewing audience. Yes, I want you to know if I had been in charge of it, <laughs> that wouldn't have happened. We I would be on season four right now because <laughs> Jasmine's a Virgo and yeah. handles her shit. But also, there were some barriers. So there Grace, were. but also, I would have done better. <laughs> Yeah, no, she would have. It's true. Okay. Okay, but we are going to pick back up. Um, So if you haven't listened to the other two episodes of season two, which are about perfectionism and sense of urgency, that's okay. You can listen to those whenever you want. And also, we gave a little bit of an introduction to what the characteristics of white supremacy culture are and why we're talking about them. Um, And there's just kind of like a model laid out in those episodes so if you want to pause, go listen to those real quick, and then come back, you're welcome to. For those who aren't interested in that, though, we're going to continue on. And we're going to talk this week, or month, or I don't know, this isn't like a consistent podcast situation, so this session, um, about fear of open conflict. Dun dun dun! So we're talking about, we're recording our podcast episode and i'm gonna also do instagram live right now oh yeah so instagram live is happening so folks can see us record the podcast as we do it they can see this incredibly technically advanced operation fluffy hair yeah it's we're just sitting in her office doing this (laughs) okay nothing fancy 
So. Yeah. So fear of open conflict is what we're talking about. Fear of open conflict. So I will begin unless you want to. Um, Give the people the definition yes, exactly. of fear of open conflict, which is one of several habits of white supremacy culture. Yes. So fear of open conflict is when you don't like arguing in public. <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah. You're like, let's have our, our disagreements in private. Yeah, that's just one very small example. But for real, it's whenever people, usually the people who have power are scared of conflict, and they try to ignore it or run from it mm-hmm. or deflect it. or snaps, snaps, snaps. Yeah. Um, it's also a fear of open conflict raises an issue because it's uncomfortable, and people don't like being uncomfortable, and they often, and here's the catcher, they blame the person for bringing up the issue, and they get mad at that person instead of actually focusing on what the issue was. And so... Um which is a big one that we're going to talk about. It's really, really really common. It's also, there's an emphasis on this to be polite always. And that's a huge, huge characteristic of white supremacy culture is you have to be quote unquote polite. And those who raise issues or like point out things are, um, you know, they're the problem. They're the problem. They're the ones misbehaving. If it weren't for them, we could just all be comfortable and keep living in our little, you know, bubbles. But that fear of open conflict says, um, if you're going to deal with it at all, which, uh, first of all, I don't want to deal with it, but if we're going to do it, let's do it quietly, let's do it secretly, let's do it removed Discreet. from people, let's do it where, you know, there's no one around to see it because that could, like, affect our image or whatever. Mm. And then, so yeah, that's I... the last one. That's, I'm done. You're wow. good. Good job. Woo! <laughs> you were. I was getting, I was like, I'm like, already started. I was starting it. hard. You were in it. Yeah. Um, tell the good people why we're reviewing these things. Why we're reviewing yeah. all of them or just this specific one? Well, the habits of white supremacy culture. Oh, okay. Because honestly, what kicked off us having these conversations was like most people going, I'm not a white supremacist. I've never marched yeah. on, you know, I've never got tiki torches. Um, I've never worn khaki pants. I'm not a neo-Nazi. I don't don a hood. Yeah. I don't want black people to die. So how am I white supremacist? And it's all nay, nay. We all have internalized habits of white supremacy. So let's talk about some real clear, tangible ways in which that manifests through our social dynamics. Then we tool those manifestations into the systems that we create. And those systems uh, operate within institutions that are. So, you know, it's a building out. But since the personal is deeply political... Um, haha, shout out to this, uh, podcast name, Parenting is Political. Yeah, for real. Um, it's important for us to say, how does this, how does this violence start with me? Yes. So, we've been reviewing them and now we're sitting pretty at open conflict. We are, yeah. And the reason that it's important for us to talk about these in the context of, like, our parenting is because if you, as parents or caregivers or even people that just, like, interact with young folks or any humans, if you haven't done the work yourself to unlearn these um, characteristics, then you are without a doubt, without question, passing them on to those around you. Because the standard and the rule are violent, anti-black, white supremacy, right? Anti-black racism and... and Baseline. That's the bare bare minimum. Yeah. So if you're not intentionally agitating against it, 
it's just happening. Yep. You're on autopilot. Autopilot. So this is about learning and doing better and figuring it all out. Hi, everyone who's joining us on Instagram. And hi, everyone who's listening on podcast. I guess. Y'all are important or whatever, but I love Instagram people better. Hi. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we have uh, like defined what yeah, we're talking about. Yeah, you set up the definition. Mm-hmm. You talked about how it works. Yeah. Let's talk about how it shows up in your life. Yes, absolutely. I would love to. Mm-hmm. So, um, man, the one when we were like briefing real quick before we started recording this that I was like, ooh, I want to talk about that. Did you Is- lose it? Did I lose it? Oh, you remember it? Yeah. Ooh, is that what it's like to not have ADHD? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to speak for everyone. It's me. I'm the one with ADHD. <laughs> um, is that there is an emphasis in white supremacy culture under this category of fear of open conflict on being polite. Polite. And I was raised to be so polite. That's about white. That's about white. Yeah. To be polite. No, but really, like, any question of authority... Conflict. Conflict. You couldn't question authority because that was impolite Mm -hmm. to do so. You always had to say, thank you, ma'am, or sir. Wow, that's binary. Which is super binary. And, well, and, like... Yeah, you know. That's how... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and so... And then if there was ever any, like... Thing that I had that was like I don't agree with this, and I tried to say something. I was shut down immediately and you told didn't deliver it appropriately. Yeah, but told well we don't discuss this right now. We'll discuss it at home. Ooh, and you they didn't being, want you put in the family business yeah. out on these streets. Yeah, and like the way that you you know how dare you bring that up? And instead of like we're focusing on the issue I brought up, it's like Mo, you're so rude, and I can't believe you would say that. And like you know what I mean, like. The emphasis then became, which is the whole other point of it. How many of y'all can relate? Yeah, That's like, so real. You become the scapegoat, ex- the scapegoat instead of the actual like issue that's happening. Yeah. So I mean, at off jump, what you are saying, what comes up for me is that so much about power and maintaining power and exploiting people, like using your power to harm people and oppress them, um, can't happen if you have people intervening. Yeah. And so the tactic of no open conflict means that no one is witness, bearing witness to this Mm -hmm. to be able to document or intervene. The lack of transparency is a necessary condition for uh, supremacy and using your power in a way that's violent um, to continue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, ooh. Ooh, it's so, I have so much to say about this. I feel like I need to slow down. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. But going back to, that's, okay, so that's how I was raised, and that's the, that's the way I was functioning in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then I started dating you. Oh. <laughs> and, and what happened me, when you started dating me, Mo? Let's just take a quick poll. What do y'all think started happening whenever I started dating Jasmine? Drop it in the comments, Instagram <laughs> folks are watching live. What do you think happened? When we had conflicts out in public. I kept being like, babe, can we not do this right now? And guess what? I'd be like, no, what we going to do right now is we're going to talk about it. And I don't care who's talking and listening because what you're not going to do. Because here's what happens. Whenever you have those conflicts, and this is not always true, right? Some of this is just about like um, 
social constructs of like politeness and kindness that white folks have been conditioned with around like not to feel embarrassed. Yeah. But in my life in particular, all of my conflicts, all of the people who were abusing their power in, in relationship to me wanted to have private conversations with me so they could gaslight me. Yes. So that they could help, so they could like help me along in that process of submission by insidiously, um, suggesting that my reality was not true Mm -hmm. and what they were doing wasn't harmful. Right. Um, and so it was like, so it became a survival tactic for me to be like, no, if we got a problem, everybody's going to know we got a problem because then you can't change the story. You can't change the story. Yeah. You can't, you can't rewrite the narrative. Um, folks can also intervene. Folks can give feedback Mm -hmm. and it's a form of safety. And, and, and also, by the way, it's a habit of collectivist communities to have open conflict. Ooh. Right. Like if you're a part of a tribe, and you live close knit and you share resources and you share land and people's raising other people's kids mm. and people are interconnected and interdependent. Guess what you're going to have? A whole bunch yeah. of open conflict. Because there's almost at that point, there's no way to not have open conflict because you have to. There's so many. To. There's so much intentionality in right. that living, living and, that way. Yeah. And you have to navigate these relationships. And so, um, you know, colonization and spreading people apart and isolating them is that's where that fear of conflict of yeah. open conflict also comes from. So yeah, there's a lot there. Like our, there. our folks who are anthropologists are going to like get really good substance or a substantial material from this conversation and then start connecting the dots. I hope. Yeah. And you know, as we can, I don't, there's so many like branch points I can go off here, mm-hmm. but I do want to keep it central to like, yeah. What we're here to talk about, and we have to, I feel like we have to, and I want to, talk about how this relates to parenting. Um, because our heart in this podcast is that you are, as a parent or a guardian or someone who has community or contact with young folks, like I said at the beginning, if you aren't unlearning this and changing the narrative, then you are passing on these habits of white supremacy, right? Right. And so also, like, just to bring it down from this, because we easily just, like, shoot into this quote-unquote elevated, which, ugh, I hate the academy for using those terms, mm-hmm. but um, conversation that can get really academic. Yeah. Bring it back down to, like, a toddler. Yeah. Most folks get embarrassed about their toddler throwing tantrums. Yes. Because it is public conflict. Exactly. And that's why I we hadn't even talked we don't talk about our stuff before we started this, but I was like, we have to talk about this. And so the person with the power, the Just parent or caregiver, starts yeah. thinking, what will it mean about me? How will I be able to get my way? Mm-hmm. And they don't want to publicly demonstrate some of the fuck shit that they plan on doing to that toddler mm-hmm. to get them to comply. Absolutely. And rather than treating them with dignity and having, a, you know, communicating however that, that young person communicates mm-hmm. and workshopping and or not trying to fix it or control it and just be present with that kid yeah. until, it, until it's handled, they're going to try some tactics mm-hmm. that really require control yeah um and you know ignoring the agency and autonomy of that little person who's trying to figure out where the boundaries are and what their needs are absolutely so it's all don't do that don't make a scene don't yeah or like we're leaving right now because you can't get it together and then they like leave the store yeah and then they're like on their way out like it's okay it's okay i got it 
I got like to all the people looking, yeah, and, like, but nobody like, looks. Sorry, like no, sorry. yeah, like so when, nobody looking is like actually cares. You know one of our, one of our social practices is when we see other folks with young people out who yeah. are their kids are just like losing their shit, just, like, and like you can tell the parent is just so fucking embarrassed mm-hmm. to be like, hey, it's good. Just yeah. like let them do it. It, mm-hmm. it 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 will end. It has an ending. Yeah. Do you know how what happens with tantrums in public? They eventually stop. Yeah. yeah. They eventually stop. Because here's the thing. Or else, like, the grocery store would always be full of kids just still going at it, you yeah. know? And usually, like, we'll just make a joke or, like, help the kids smile or, like, help the parent relax. And then it's over like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, okay, everyone breathe. Because we, we typically uh, make choices to stand in solidarity with the person with least power in the we situation. Which do. is usually the child. Mm-hmm. Even though in the moments the parents are like... <laughs> I don't have any power. I know. The parents are like, this is so hard for me. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that's like a real parenting caregiver application to consider and think through. Um, But let's talk about it. Good. No, go for it. I'm really curious about what you were about to say. No, you go. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I was just going to (laughs) say we should also talk about the notion of um, open conflict as it, like, revolves around challenging like authority Mm, and with mm. that emphasis on being polite and also we need to talk about blaming the person for bringing the issue up instead of actually focusing on the issue those are the two things i really want to talk about go for it before we close them which one which one do you want to do first um let's talk about people's reaction of scapegoating the person who is naming the conflict rather than addressing the conflict I feel like you have way too much experience with that. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to march that baggage out, but you go no. for it and we'll, we'll chat. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I don't think that we need to spend a lot of time unpacking that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can just, I'll just speak from personal experience because that's the best place to speak from, really. Um, the very best place to start. Yeah, I think uh, from an early-ish age... Um, I don't know. Like we can start. Like I think it'd be fun to kind of start unpacking. Like me kind of bucking the binary from an early age. Open conflict. Open conflict, right? Yeah. So I have this. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and so just mentioning that is one way that people can start making these these connections around the ways in which patriarchy mm-hmm. connects with white supremacy. Yeah. Right. So if white supremacy culture is like open conflict, you don't challenge authority mm-hmm. in any way. Um, and you certainly, if you do, you do it nicely in a way that is comfortable for the person with power. Uh, subverting the binary, gender binary, meaning the uh, gender designation of masculine and feminine. Um, that is is a you're like you're always challenging conflict you by existing. existing. <laughs> And so then it's going to create all kinds of responses, some that are rooted in um, queer phobia mm-hmm. um, and transphobia, which is a tactic of violence of the culture of white, or excuse me, of patriarchy, or it's going to trigger white supremacy behaviors. Yes. So, you know, because that's an open conflict literally just by existing in the world, I've seen lots of parents who have like very queer kids or very like non-binary kids and they just try to squash it right because Mm -hmm. it's so outside the norm 
that that's challenging that idea of open conflict. And so, like, when I was past the age where it was cute to be a tomboy and it was, like, clear this was, like, a thing in my life, like, people would come up to me and my parents and, like, what's happening? Like, why is this still going on? And my parents, I just were so embarrassed and kept trying to make me into, like, a very girly girl and, like, try to keep me keep moving back to that femme side. And just by existing, it just, I kept fucking it up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I imagine some of that from if I had to put myself in your parents' place, mm-hmm. some of that had to do with the social pressure of compliance and conformity. Yeah. And whenever you have someone who reads as other, whether it's the color of their skin or their body, mm-hmm. um, how they think, how they speak, how, they, how they're read, mm-hmm. um, because people were reading you a certain way, your parents had to choose to confront that person. Yeah. And the assumptions that were being placed on your body or control you so they don't have to confront that person. Yeah. And so rather than going to bat for their kid, yeah. they, I mean, that's, that's child abuse. Yeah. Homo- it, transphobia, homophobia, yeah. queerphobia is child abuse. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And, but it also... I said it. <laughs> let me repeat it. Yes, you did. If you have a transgender child and you are phobic of them, you are being an abusive parent. You are engaging in child abuse. And that's the episode. Thanks for joining us. Just kidding. We've got some more to say. We do. Hey, so we've got folks on Instagram coming in and saying hello. Please give us some hearts and share the live podcast. Let people know what's happening because we didn't tell y'all. We were like Taylor Swift. We're just going to drop an episode except for unlike Taylor Swift, (laughs) we're not centering power and whiteness (laughs) and classism. We're actually about that life. We're about the gays. We are the gays. I know. Exactly. We're not like royal the we gays. We're we're royally gay though. You're royally gay. <laughs> okay, so that is one example of like open conflict by just existing. Mm-hmm. Because open conflict, it's really important. It's not just with your words. It's not like having an argument. That is a form of it. But like in the society yeah. that we live in, when you are other, mm-hmm. that's conflict. That's conflict. People like to conceptualize and define. Um, conflict as sort of like a charged elevated like yeah. public dis- dispute or fight or argument and it's it's not just that right it's no. not it's not at all um sex workers and folks who engage in in the sex work industry they come into conflict with ideological values of society and so no one talks about it um you know that's one way that conflict conflict happens yeah um yeah there's there are a lot of nuances around this conversation yes i think what's really important too Mm -hmm. is a thing that we always do which is which we did at the top of the conversation which is like bring it back down to parenting yes one pretty big piece of advice that is incredibly toxic and harmful that often people who live together or co-parent or are do shared caretaking for young people that they tell that they're told from their parents or they learn from their parents is do not have conflict in front of your children. It will scare them. Ugh. It will make it feel like it's unstable. Ah. It will they won't understand it. They'll pick a favorite parent or caregiver. That I'm so glad you brought that up. Do you fight in front of the kids? 
Do you? Yes, you should. Do we? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We do. The other part of that, and I'll let you talk about fighting in front of the kids, but the other part of that that we're going to get into is do not disagree about what you want to do as a parent in yeah. front of your kids. You present a united front. That's There's, toxic. That is. That's impressive. That's it, impressive. It is. How many of us were like, wait, my parents never disagreed in front of me about how to raise me or what to do. So I don't actually know what it's like to have parenting differences or like differences as a person to be like aut- or differentiated. I don't know what that looks like. And so for that reason, I don't know how to navigate that. But there have been so many things that Mo has come, the kids have come to me and been like, hey, so Baba said to do this. And, or Mo was punishing punishing a kid in front of me and saying, like, Get, here are your consequences for how you behaved or whatever was going on. And I, and I stopped and I was like, I don't agree with you, Mo. Yeah. What I actually think should be happening right now is this. And Mo would be like, oh, well, why do you think that? I think this. And then yeah. we went together and then we demonstrated, we modeled in front of our kids um usually to their high anxiety because they're like what will my fate be yeah exactly it's Um, like not only are they all like discussing but then it's like they're discussing about (laughs) what's gonna happen yeah what's gonna happen to them but we and then we've had to like come to concessions in front of them and be like well baba feels this way about how you behaved and why you need to have these consequences Mm -hmm. and what should happen and i believe this and um this is where this is where it's coming in now like this is where we're coming in entering the conversation um so, yeah, this whole united front thing is just another way to say, consolidate your power so that you can continue. <laughs> it, like, also encourages codependency because we are two different people. And we're not always going to agree how to parent. we are not going to always agree. We, we do a lot because, like, our ethics align a lot. But there have been so many instances where you were doing something. I was like, I 100% would never do that. And I would do it this yeah. way. And But because people are like, you have to be united front it encourages codependency and like morphing into one unit and it's like we're two different people we're autonomous and our kids need or, I mean, we're interdependent and yeah. our kids need to see that interdependence and they need to see that i come with a different set of skills to uh this communal relationship this effort we have to do this thing called family mm-hmm. um than mo does and i think it's important that our kids have a story of self that includes yeah so my parents regularly modeled and demonstrated how you negotiate differing value sets and different learning styles yeah. and they communicated in a different way. And, and it's important too, to do that. And then like, we still love each other. You know what I mean? And it's like so often in families, no one's fighting and no one's showing that open conflict. And then all of a sudden the moment it does, and it gets to the point where you're at max capacity and it's overflowing, then there's some sort of separation or divorce. And so it's really important. And the kids are like, what the fuck happened yeah. in my life? My parents never fought. Yeah. There's and never anything bad happened, but they're getting divorced. Why? So to, to be able to model to our own kids that like, hey, your mom and I disagree and we get into arguments and we, you know, we'll hash things out. But then like that same night or hours later, or maybe even the next day after we've taken some space... We're, we're loving on each other. Mm. We're kissing. Mm. We're hugging. Like, we tell the kids, you know, we we disagree. We're two people who, just like you and your siblings, get into arguments. Yeah. But, like, we stick it out and we love each other, you know. I mean, it's a choice. But we, we also, yeah. we so we demonstrate repair. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Look at her summarizing. Um, 
It's also really important for me to name that because Mo and I both are heavily influenced by like our Oklahoma Christian upbringing and some Midwest upbringing, um, it's easy for us to get into this marriage supremacy mindset. And yeah. so we talk about divorce and marriage a lot, but that's our paradigm. Yeah. That's not everybody's paradigm. Um, you know, Mo and I are queer folks who are married, who are non-monogamous, meaning mm-hmm. that we have other, you know, loving, sustaining relationships that I'm not, you know, not in married to anyone else. Although if I could be, I probably would. There could have been a couple. I'm talking to you, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so, yeah, for the listeners who um, marriage is not an institution you can support, we don't really support it either. There are all kinds of reasons why we chose it. We're going to do an episode why called Marriage is Dumb, but we got married anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyway, just calling that into the room. That's really good. So, let's talk about it. let's talk about uh, the fighting in front of, not, yeah. not about the kids and disagreeing on how to uh, mm-hmm. raise and rear the kids in front of them, but what happens whenever you and I get into, like... You did some shit because it's always your fault. Obviously, I've never done anything ever in Obviously. life or relationship to uh, warrant a fight. Perfect and lovely in all the ways. So what happens when you do something wrong and we get in a fight? <laughs> well, I can tell you, I think it'll be good to share a timeline at the beginning of our relationship when that happened. And you try to do it in front of the kids. I immediately was like, hell no. We've got to talk about this when they go to bed. Yeah. And you were like, no, we're going to talk about it now. And I'm like... No, we're not. Conversation over. And I would, like, walk away, which would, like, make it so much worse. (laughs) And then it would still happen, but it was, like, up a couple degrees because I tried to pull that shit. And so now my first instinct is still to be, like, run away from open conflict because of that internalized by supremacy that I'm still unlearning and undoing. Authenticity. Authenticity. (laughs) But that's so that's my first instinct. But then I like call myself into the present and say, no, we can do this. Let's hash this out right now. Even though I feel six pairs of eyes staring straight into my soul. They're watching. They're watching so intensely, so intensely. But we do it. We fight. We hash it out. And it's not always comfortable. But it's also super important to model that and, for kids. And the, and the thing is, we also, we don't do it. With a standard of perfectionism applied to it. No. Like, we've yelled at each other in front of the kids. Yeah. We have said things that are not very nice. Mm-mm. Mainly me. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that was your that was your gap to accept <laughs> that you also say not very nice oh, things. Oh, okay. Do you want, you want to talk about it right now? <laughs> um, and, and what we do afterwards, whenever uh, the fight or flight has worn off, of whatever we were experiencing at the moment, we sit them down and we say, hey, here's what we did well in that experience Mm -hmm. you witnessed. Here's what we did poorly and we need to grow and make changes. And here's what we want you to know at Mm -hmm. the end of this. Uh, Reaffirming their security and their well-being and the stability of their home and reminding them that people who care deeply for one another and are committed to one another have really uncomfortable fights sometimes. And... um, and, and we normalize it. We do. And we bring it back to their relationship with their siblings and be like, hey, remember the other time when you punched somebody in the face? You punched your little brother in the face? <laughs> I mean, I don't hit Baba. No, we don't. But, the, like, um, emotionally, verbally, I said some things that were kind of like a punch. Yeah. 
and this is what I was feeling. And we obviously would make it really developmentally appropriate. We don't share all kinds of details with them, but it's an opportunity for us to subvert that habit mm -hmm. so that whenever they go out into the world, they're not afraid of conflict because they understand that conflict can be a deeply restorative and generative practice that mm -hmm. that helps them navigate the world. Um, and they're going to be kids who know how to advocate for what they want and what they need because of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not going to be... How many of us got into relationships with abusive people <laughs> or were targeted and fell victim to abusive people, predatory behaviors, right? Um, that and, and part of that was because you had no framework for how to be assertive, direct, and advocate for yourself in a moment of deep discomfort and conflict. How many of you? Most of us. Yeah, totally. Most of us. And not all of us ended up being preyed upon and in a relationship with an abusive person, whether it was a friend or a boss or a lover or whatever. Yeah. But but that it still that still led to social dynamics, interpersonal relationship dynamics that they don't serve us anymore. They don't. Yeah, you're right. And we're all like really fucking resent resentful because we can't speak our peace and we can't figure things out or we're afraid of one another or we're isolated it's just no good give up white supremacy y'all decolonize your relationships and your parenting that's what this is about yeah absolutely so some ways that bring it back to the practical um, yeah because i feel like we covered a lot of ground there we did we did which it's okay to listen to our episodes more than once hold on <laughs> let's just stop let's just stop okay let's take a breath yeah, we did a lot of information and a lot of talking. We did. And I bet there are some people who are like, oh, shit, that's where my anxiety of mm. messing up and being called out in public comes from. Yeah, totally. That's where it comes from. Yeah. I Also, it's important to validate and affirm that for some of us, not only are we afraid of the open conflict, but we're afraid of the ending meaning, the implied meaning of the open conflict that ultimately will tell us, you're right, you're not worth it. Totally. You're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And that that's what's coming with open conflict. That that, that that will be the conclusion and everyone will witness the conclusion. Yeah, for real. That's a good point. So, some ways to combat that and practice and be intentional about unlearning these things is well i think there's a couple and we can just kind of run through them and um if you guys have any that you can think of or you if y'all have any if y'all have any that you can think of um you can also send those to us um but i think one of them is just practice like not getting mad at the person who's delivering the message and really be intentional about like listening to what that message is. And that also applies to your kids. Yeah. If your kids call you out on some shit, let them call you out. Don't be like, I'm the parent. You're the kid. That's not how this is going to work. Part of the right to dignity of every person is the, um, and you know, the inherent right to be able to speak up whenever and like challenge things, speak up whenever things are uncomfortable for them yeah. and engage in conflict. And whenever people can't complain or engage in conflict because you have to control mm -hmm. how it's received. Yeah. How, uh, what is that? And just remember that in the moment, whenever you, if you choose to like lash out at that person, instead of hearing the message, you ultimately are choosing your comfort because it's really uncomfortable to be called out or like called in. 
in public or like in an open conflict, conflict yeah. situation and you're prioritizing your comfort over listening to the fact that they're giving you some sort of information about something that is like important enough to say you're doing this or you did this and it hurt me or like whatever the conversation is about. Right. Mm-hmm. So instead of centering like the, your need for comfort in that moment, try and center yourself in that moment and be like, what are they saying to me? Yeah. I think it's also important to add that for a lot of us, our own trauma and personal fear around, you know, conflict wasn't safe. Right. And and it still isn't safe for some of us. And so I, I this, this is not an either or sort of thing where we're creating an orthodoxy of how to have conflict and saying if you avoid all public conflict, you're being a white supremacist. That's not what's happening here. No. What's happening here is to say, like, look at the intention behind your re- reactions. If your reaction is like, I didn't have public conflict. I can't have public conflict with this person because when I go home, I'm going to get beat. Yeah. I'm going to experience domestic violence or I'm going to be harmed in some way. That's a strategy for your survival. Don't fucking have public conflict. Absolutely. Right? Survive. Uh, survive. Stay alive and be okay yeah. as much as you can in that horrible situation. And then text me and I will help you figure out how to get out of that. <laughs> um, so I don't want it to the swing the pendulum to swing to another extreme. Yeah. And we have to acknowledge too that that this is this is a social dynamic that happens in in systems and groups. Yeah. And we have to really interrogate where it's coming from. If yeah. it's coming from my anxiety because I want to look as though I don't have any problems or struggles, then that's that's not the wave. Have the have the conflict. Have it openly. Do it. The other thing that we wanted to touch on that we didn't was uh, open conflict on social media about your problems. Oh, wow. That's like a... We might have to do a part two. We'll do a part two. Yeah, we might have to. Because people usually get really upset with me about it and are like, we had a conflict, but why did you put it on the internet? And I know if these people who are in my life listen to this podcast are thinking that I'm subtweeting them, like I'm, it's subtext, but I'm not. Like that's how many people in my life have been like, don't write about it, Jasmine. Don't put it, don't tweet about it. Don't, I won't even name people's names and six different people will be like, hey, I saw that tweet that was about me. Well, because, I mean, it's the biggest public there is, right? Social media. No, so it's, like, that's it's where it, not because the universe is huge and you know the aliens are oh watching us, but God. whatever. <laughs> I'm just saying, if yeah. it's a root fear of open conflict, putting it on social media is the biggest form of yeah. the openness that there is. One of my first abusers was like, I hate when you write about our life. I believe that. And I'm like, uh... I hate what you do to my I life. I hate what you do to my life to make me write about it publicly. If you don't want me to write about it, don't do the shit. And then there's, like, this whole cultural dynamic of, like, well, it's sacred. Our conflict and our relationship is sacred and it shouldn't be there. And I agree around conversations, like, around race and queerness and different things. Like, there are some um, sacred spaces that are not for certain gazes. Like, trans folks should have sacred spaces where cisgender gaze isn't present. Black folks should have sacred spaces where we can have conflict where white gaze isn't there. Because we know that cisgender people are ultimately deeply 
transphobic, right? We know that white people are ultimately deeply anti-black and non-black people of color. And so again, that goes back, that harkens back to the point of safety and like reasonable spaces for conflict and creating the container for the conflict as is appropriate. Mm -hmm. But usually like when, when folks are saying don't do this conflict thing, it's a, it's, it's a tactic of keeping things isolated. Yeah. Also, let's differentiate between harassment and, and cyberbullying and or like harassment and violence in person and bullying in person versus conflict. They're not the same thing. So don't none of y'all go and drag somebody on Facebook and harass yeah. them and be like, we learned to engage in open conflict on parenting is political. Mo and Jasmine told us to do it. No, that's it's not what this is This is about. It's not. This is about, like, actually having conversations to for the betterment or yeah. just because, like, yeah. Conflict, disagreement. Conflict, yeah. And again, remember that your existence literally in and of itself can be open conflict. So... If you are um, anybody who is read as other is read in as any other situation of power, yeah, just uh, do that. Realize that and do the things to take care of yourself. And also, um, if you are a parent of somebody I'm or cute in this light. a guardian of somebody who is an other, don't squash that because you have a fear of conflict. Um, are there any other like tangible things that you want to cover? I don't think so. Let's okay. create a space for the folks who have hung in there with us in the live Instagram to ask some questions. Oh, okay. Do you want that to be on the podcast or do you want to just chat here? I don't know. I didn't know we were doing this, so I don't really have a a plan for that. We've never done this on the podcast. Yeah, we literally, we literally have. It's saved on Facebook. Oh, well, I know, but like, anyway, we planned that before. That's what hey, I'm folks on the Instagrams who have been watching our live recording of one of our podcast episodes, do you have any questions, comments, concerns for the parts that you caught? If there are none in the next minute or so, we're going to sign off. We are. It's true. Also, Instagram watchers missed the first part of the episode. And I encourage you, once we release the episode, to go and listen to the first part of it. Mainly because there's Cheetos involved. Don't give it away. Don't. Don't. Wow. You're not going to want to miss the first part of that episode. <laughs> Any questions? I don't think so. Bye, y'all. Thanks for yeah. chatting with us. Hanging in there on the Instagram Live. Yep. We're going to sign off. We are. And for our podcast listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. As always... You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook under the Parenting is Political handles. If you have any questions about today's episode or really any episode that you've listened to so far, you can always email us at contact at parentingispolitical.org. Um, and we look forward to our next episode. Bye!